Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galanti, along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank lot going on this week. We had the blue-white game, we had commitments, and we even had an appearance by T. Frank at our tailgate on Saturday. T. Frank and Mrs. T. Frank. It was great yeah. to see you guys. Yeah, we, we pulled the um, uh, not really a celebrity thing where we stayed for about 20 minutes and then had to bounce. <laughs> it felt like, so it felt like five. I got into a great conversation uh, with some of the people at the tailgate, awesome time. And I looked down at my phone. Literally, I went, "Oh no!" Because I was, I had to be on air at one. And I looked down at my phone at like twelve twenty-five. I had to make my way back over and set up all my equipment before we went, we went on air. So I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed myself while I was there. But uh, it was, it was a great time, and uh, I think the game went pretty well as well. So you know, other than the rain, great weekend. That's it, other than the rain, but it was great to see T. Frank. And yes, Mrs. T. Frank does exist. It's not the yes. quote-unquote Canadian girlfriend. Very nice lady. It was wonderful to meet her also, T. Frank. Let's get right to it. Before we dive into the blue-white game itself, uh, a lot of personnel activity. We got a couple commitments over the weekend I want to get your take on. Before mm-hmm. we do that, we often have to do this, the full disclosure. We are recording prior to the announcement uh, by Wisconsin offensive lineman Donovan Harbor. A lot of folks say he's leaning to Penn State. We're not going to predict one way or the other. Just a real yeah. quick comment. I find it interesting, Penn State, with an opportunity with an offensive lineman in Wisconsin of all places, T. Frank. Yeah, I know. This is um, uh, uh, this is one of those things where it feels like you're going in and stealing dragon gold because it's like, ooh, Wisconsin linemen, they're gonna, wow, look at that. And uh, uh, you know, I always am uncomfortable talking about these things before they happen because you never know in recruiting. But uh, a big, physical, powerful player, you know, from what I've seen of him on film, because checking out him, he's obviously a prospect that was at the Blue White weekend, uh, Blue White game this weekend. Uh, his teammate also is a Penn State prospect. So um, doing your due diligence on these guys. Uh, and and the, the number one thing I'd say with Harbor is power, size, power. Those are where his game is predicated. Well, depending on that final announcement, a week from now, we will talk about him more. Let's shift gears to the guys that we know are in the fold. Well, at least we know they are verbal commitments. There's a long time between the actual uh, uh, signing day, especially for Keandre Barker, who's a class of 25 running back out of Texas. Mm -hmm. And T. Frank, this running back room just gets better and better all the time, it seems. What did you see with Keandre Barker when you saw his uh, film? Uh, He... His hero is Saquon Barkley, and he emulates Saquon Barkley on the field. Slippery little guy, and I don't mean little because he's six foot one ninety. So he's a he's a um, a good, really good prospect, a really good prospect that doesn't really have a whole lot of holes in his game. Um, and, and for clarification, 
he's actually from Arkansas. He's from Beatty, Arkansas, and he's moving to Texas to go to the Woodland School, which is a 5A school in Texas. So he is a high enough recruit that he's being recruited on the high school level to go to a different school. You know, like it's not exactly an IMG situation, but this is kind of how all of these power schools that are good all the time. It's how they, they stay good all the time is they recruit. So um, he's going to get a lot of really good coaching. He's going to get a lot of good development. I think he's a little underdeveloped and uh, just going off of some instincts and some natural abilities, um, which always sounds like he just was born with those things, but He's worked very hard to be what he is right now. I think he'll even he'll get even more over the next two years going into Texas and uh, and getting some um, some some training there. But uh, great contact balance, great feel for how to roll off of of hits. He has great, uh, I'd say, really good vision. He can see cutback cutback lanes and he can he can hit them. Uh, but again, the thing is, his level of competition it's on easy mode. So like a lot of the things he does on film, they look great, but is he going to continue that level of unprecedented athleticism as he gets higher and higher in competition? I think he's going to have to raise this game a little bit as well, which is every player has to, um, a good track athlete. I still think, you know, good speed. But if, if we're talking like this kid is a running back that committed two years out to me, that, that signifies he's special that you don't have to wait around to see what he is. And also, I hate, 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 hate scouting guys two years out because development happens so rapidly at that point. You know, like physical development, you start to really get into the time in your life where you can add muscle quickly. And what he is now could be very different and will be very different than what I saw on film from uh, what is now six months ago, which when you're a teenager, when you're a teenage boy, that is like two years of development time. Like you just, you grow so quickly. So it's always tough to say like, here are the things I see on film, which are probably already outdated. Uh, but, you know, some of the context clues, everybody wants this kid. Texas schools want this kid. Penn State was comfortable to take his uh, commitment two years out. That tells me he's a really physically adept player because at that position, you have to be to be a good running back. Like elite running backs have to be elite athletes. There's no, he's a really good player that is an elite player because of all of his positional skills. Like it takes all of it at running back. So if the Penn State staff and Jay Wansider thinks this guy is going to be, you know, on the same par of what they've gotten with Singleton and uh, Quinton Martin and now him, I, you know, I, I think that's a pretty good uh, indicator that he is going to be that. But it's just, it's a, so long away from now of what his final form before he gets to Penn State is that I, I, I don't really know in the intermediary what transition is going to look like. I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up, T. Frank, because I was going to mention when you gave his size, my instant response, well, that's not all that big. Well, wait a minute. He's a sophomore. That means he's like, what, 15, 16 years old? Yeah, something like this that. Is a, he's a couple years away from uh, attending college, and those are big development years. I could only imagine what we're going to see, you know, in two two years from now with someone like that, if he's already making waves that big when he's only completed his sophomore year in high school. So, but an impressive get. And again, for them to go out to Texas to get someone like this, a tremendous, tremendous get, tremendous recruiting. The other commit that came in, now this is a class of 24 Offensive lineman, uh, 
from Wild Missing. Where have I heard this before? Getting the uh, offensive lineman from Wild yeah. Missing. Um, what I find fascinating, and this is always dangerous when you read message boards, T. Frank, but mm-hmm. the instant reaction whenever a player gets recruited who is listed as a three-star. Mm-hmm. And there's that instant negative reaction. That's why I always look to someone like yourself who watches the film. So what are we getting with Caleb Brewer? Really athletic guard. So, you know, talking uh, about why I'm missing football and Javen Williams. Remember everything we said about Javen. Very raw. Plays in a situation and a system that is nothing like what he'll do uh, in, in college. And that is doubly true for Caleb Brewer, who plays tight end in this wing T offense. So he's running routes trying to go get the ball. Like he has highlights where he's catching the football on tape. That's how far away he is from his current position or his future position of guard. But when you look at the athletic profile, he's a really he's really fast and he's about 280. Really great physically developed player. Uh, I was joking with Ross Tucker, a friend of the, of the show on Twitter, that apparently while missing is an O-line factory at this point because Javen Williams, then Caleb Brewer, like uh, they're they're pumping out these guys that are physically impressive football players. And um, Penn State is, is taking them. And I think Brewer is a little bit more raw because of all this situation and all these circumstances than Williams was. Now, he's probably not the same athlete and he doesn't have the same frame as Javen. Um, So that's where you get to the three star conversation of he's very raw. Uh, He's not a complete player at the at the position. I think his arms are a little short, which is a concern at times for interior offensive linemen, even if they, you know, aren't the uh, outside tackles that need to have superior length. You still want to have good length on the interior. And I think he's just on that line. But my biggest problem is he doesn't use his hands. So that is a very fundamental part of being an offensive or defensive lineman where you've got to be able to stack and shed. And he is a, he's so much bigger, stronger, and faster than everyone else around him. He should be dominating in a similar fashion to Williams. And you watch him because, you know, Javen is an early enrollee. So this is the same film. This is the same. You're seeing him compared to a five-star on the field. And he doesn't uh, do some of the same things because he's kind of just running into guys and and bouncing off people and running to make plays. But when you look at the whole profile, he moves really well. The second level, he's excellent. And he's able to seek out and destroy blocks on the second level. I think those are some natural transition skills. But when it comes down to the positional skills, his footwork is relatively non-existent. He's almost never had to pass protect because he's a tight end. So there's a lot of work to go, but I can see why Penn State was willing to take him because he's got that athletic profile of somebody who can be really, really, really talented at guard with the natural strength he has and with the speed, especially great, great athlete that they're getting on the offensive line. I like the fact that he's been playing tight end there. That gives me a sense that there's athleticism there. This isn't Mega Barnwell, right? We're not going to see him line up at tight end for Penn State, are we? He looks like a tank running. Mego looked like a tight end, but it was like, oh, this looks like uh, somebody changed the the aspect ratio of my TV and like objects are closer than they appear because he was huge. Looked like a normal tight end that was just gigantic. Um, this looks like it, it, when you do the you're near the goal line and you give the ball to the fullback who's actually your defensive tackle. When he's running routes and when he's out there, that's what it looks like. Now, he is faster than, I think, you know, what you may imagine. So it is an advantage, but it's not Mega Barnwell. Like, there's no 
There is no earthly way he's playing tight end. Okay. Well, then Jim's fantasy of those uh, having them each lining up, Barnwell on one side, uh, Brewer on the other, being these two massive tight ends, unless we go into that uh, massive package on the goal line, uh, fourth and one, and these two as your tight end, which would essentially give you seven linemen, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the sky's the limit in creativity. If he can catch, he's not, he can't catch the same way Barnwell can, but he can block for sure. All right. Very good, uh, T. Frank. That is it for quarter number one of our show. As I promised, we are going to dive into the blue-white game next. We're going to take a look at uh, what T. Frank saw on film. I know it's a scrimmage, but you could still get something out of it, right? We will oh, find yeah. out from T. We'll find out from T. Frank next. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new Coffee Barbecue Dry Rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hockensmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. He is Thomas Frank Carr. I am Jim Galante. And as promised, we're going to start hitting on the blue-white game and T. Frank's takes on it. T. Frank, we were talking off air about, you know, some of the response to this game was narrative. Oh, this it's meaningless. You can't get anything from that. You differ on that opinion, don't you? I do. And like I said, going into this game, it, it's, it's going to be about a, a couple of different factors for me. And they're more positionally suited. Like, how does a certain guy perform in his role? Things were as basic on defense as I expected. There wasn't anything super crazy, just a lot of the base Manny Diaz playbook that he showed last year, some zone drops, some run stunts, um, different coverages, but pretty vanilla coverages. And um, how does the quarterback in that environment deal with that? How does he operate the play? And how does he next level process? Because the bullets are flying. Like, I know that he's tagged, like he can't be sacked. 
but the bolts are flying. Like there are people around his feet. There are going to be people in his face. How does he deal with that literal and metaphysical pressure of being in the stadium with people in it? And I, you know, from a quarterback perspective, I got some of that. And then from a uh, positional perspective, like I wrote earlier this week at bluewhiteillustrated.com, five players that I thought showed me something and, and flashed when on film review that I, I wouldn't have gotten just watching practice or that you don't get unless you're in one of these situations. So I, I gained a good number of insights um, from seeing it for myself and seeing how players look and act at their positions throughout the game. And it's an, it's enough that I think it's a good baseline for some players and resetting some expectations or confirming some expectations about those guys. Well, I'm glad you did get something out of it because that's what we want to hear from you, T Frank. Let's start yeah. where everybody starts at the quarterback position the competition continues between Drew Aller and Bo Prabula. My goodness, who knows we'll get who will get that starting nod come West Virginia game in the fall, T. Frank. Let's hear it. What do you see from Drew Aller and Bo Prabula? Well, I'll give you an overall feeling first, and then you can pick which player you want to talk about after that. So I think for the most part, um, the, the way I described them was late. In, in the first half where they are trying to diagnose the play and whether they got to the right read or not, they got there late. Um, and Drew, Drew said after the game that there were some jitters, some nerves that settled down um, and he was able to play a little bit better in the second half. The second half, he did play better, um, but the, the pressure was real and the defense was preventing him from doing some of the things he wanted to down the football field. Prabula was under constant pressure in the second half. Like he was just, he had a no win situation for most of the second half where he wasn't with the first team offensive line or when he was with the blue team, they had cycled in Jimmy Christ and some of the guys from the second, uh, the white team offensive line. So it wasn't really like he was playing with the starters throughout, including at receiver where, um, you know, you're getting to the young guys late in the game. So Bo was under more pressure than drew from the defensive line throughout the game. And I think to me that limited some of my understanding of what he can do with the ball down the field, but it also re re reaffirmed to me, he makes generally smart decisions with the ball and does so quickly. Now falling down 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage on a wet field, because he's trying to extend a play with Zane Durant in his face. is not great. Like that's not great. And I know the last pass with five seconds left, that's going to be what fans remember, but that to me was not indicative of his day. Uh, I thought he was I thought he was good. I actually thought he had the throw of the day between the two. Well, let's let's start with Bo Prabula. And as you said, that's a bit unfair when he was constantly under pressure. He's not going to come out with the on the surface, the numbers you want to see about with number of completions and completion percentage yeah. and, and, and so on. But under the circumstances, did you feel like he performed adequately? that you'd be comfortable if he were forced out onto the field to play. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And and he is what I described in our last show of quick decision maker. The ball jumps out of his hand, gets the receiver and he's accurate. Um, I think he's a really accurate quarterback. So again, the final throw, notwithstanding, there were some really good decisions under pressure and some really good uh, plays that he made. I mean, some of the, the zone read option stuff when you can't, break a tackle when you're not allowed to break a tackle you don't know where that play is going to go so he had a couple of runs that could have been big runs if he's able to break a tackle from tony rojas in the open field but it's tagged so it doesn't it you know that goes down as kind of a nothing 
Um, another situation because of that, like there was a screen to Khalil Dinkins where he's thrown off his back foot with a linebacker in his face. Linebacker might have gotten a hit on him. Like if it's live and and that guy's allowed to come full speed the whole way, that play might not have happened. But in the situation, the way it was, he was able to throw off his back foot 20 yards basically downfield from his position on the on the money to Khalil Dinkins to get yardage on on a screenplay. Um, the my favorite play of the day was uh, he was with the first team offense. One of the few times he had the full first team offense and it's near the low reds or the high red zone, 25 yard line or so. And they run their their fake screen um, go route where they fake the screen, they fake blocking and one of the blockers then runs up field into the voided zone. So you have to be quick with your anticipation and timing you have to be you have to give a believable play fake and he threaded the needle to Amari Evans down to the two yard line that is a hard pass that is a great connection and uh, to me that was a throw of the day because he had to beat the zone he had to get it into a very tight window and he put it right on the guy's face mask so the only thing you could have asked for is like you know a super special throw that somehow leads him into the end zone and then you get the extra touchdown which that that drive resulted in a field goal but um, that was a really good throw. The one that I'd say that I thought he was late on was his, I think his first or second pass of the day. The one where Liam Clifford gets hit by Johnny Dixon and uh, it's an incomplete pass. That is a zone pass. Like that is a zone defense he's throwing into. He waited until Clifford had turned his head around and taken two steps in the route. Like this is what I'm talking about. Like the next level processing, the next level skills. Throwing with anticipation means you throw the ball into that zone. You settle the receiver down so he's not led into the coverage. So Clifford should have stopped. He should have found a hole in that zone. And Prabula should have thrown the ball earlier. Neither of those guys did that. So it results in, you know, a, a shot to the chest and an incomplete ball. So uh, that's kind of some of the next level things you're looking for from the quarterbacks. I didn't really see that from either of the guys on Saturday at times you saw flashes of it from Aller, which is why I think we have the conversation we do about. It's a clear separation between the two. And what I said about Perbula of, I know what to expect. I know it's going to be quality, but can he be the extra stuff? And Aller, his whole game is predicated on needing to be the extra stuff. Obviously earlier when I was talking about the quarterback competition, I was kidding. I think we all know or expect drew Aller to be the guy. Let's talk about him a little bit. I know the narrative coming out of it was some questioned his accuracy. Mm -hmm. I don't. The narrative saw, coming in was that we thought he was the next great thing, remember? And I said, hey, let's watch him play first. And then people come out of that saying, we got a lot of work to do before West Virginia. And I was like, no, duh. No, duh. Not, I'm not here to say I told you so. I'm just here to gently remind you that your expectations without information tend to lead to broken hearts. So here we are. Well, my my reaction to it was I and I said this going into the game, I wasn't going to go crazy about Drew Aller, whether he was 10 for 10 or one for 10, because I thought he played enough last season that my impression of him was going to be based more on what he did during the season last year than it would be on this game alone. But when I saw some of the. To me, the most blatant example of this was uh, I think he moved in the pocket a bit, and I think it was Katron Allen he had wide yep. open, and yep. he, he threw a poor pass to him. There was no doubt about that. But that's a yeah. pass that 
you assume he would make nine out of ten times, but I do think when you I mentioned talk about earlier when he said about his nerves a bit, I, I think that's part of it. Not his that he's inherently inaccurate with his throws. Go ahead. I want to talk about that play specifically. It's one of the ones I had highlighted coming into this because what you're describing is what everybody saw. What I saw was what happened on the front side of the play that has me more concerned about what's going on with Drew. And this is early in the game. It is uh, pressure in his face. And the I'll give you the, the problem is I'm trying to describe something visual in an audio medium, but I'm going to do my best here. Uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith is running a motion swing pass, basically like uh, running out into the flat for like a flare, like a running back flare. Um, and the design of the play, to understand this, let's step back one quick second and look at coverages. If you've got cover three, one of the best ways to beat cover three is to run two vertical routes through that zone because the first guy that goes through takes the corner. The second one should be running into a voided zone if the other players don't have some eye candy. So that's the setup of the play. Khalil Dinkins is running through second as a zone beater, and Lambert Smith is a decoy to bring the linebacker up. So he fakes a swing pass to Lambert Smith. It works. Dinkins is running wide open, but there's pressure around Aller's feet. And there's pressure in his face. So he doesn't continue with the play. And what happens is because he feels the pressure, he kind of glances downfield, but then he tries to throw to his fake. Like he drew, he drew the flies over here and then tried to throw where he drew everybody with the play fake. That is not a good plan. That is not good processing. Now, to his credit, he didn't do that. He then pulled the ball down, navigated the pocket, and because of a coverage bust in the middle of the field where you had K.J. Winston and Tamir Robinson and nobody knew who was supposed to take Catron Allen, he was wide open. But the nerves and everything else and throwing on the run, he overthrows Catron Allen. So everyone sees the overthrow over here, but again, that's a coverage bust. That is the defense made a mistake. If, if Tamir Robinson goes with him, that's a much more difficult pass. The process on the front end of can you hit those windows? Can you hit the design of the play downfield? And when pressure got into his face last year, this was another problem that I saw from him is that he tends to kind of fold. Like literally, he does not step through his throws. He uh, short strides his already shortened stride with his with his rotational throwing. And a couple of times he actually hopped through the throw, like when there was too much pressure around his feet. Those are, to me, those are the concerning things I saw in film last year that have continued in the blue-white game. Now, they got better in the second half. So this is not going to be a five-alarm fire, Drew Aller is bad, this is the next Christian Hackenberg conversation, but it is painting a picture of these are the areas he might struggle with next season. And if teams blitz him a lot, he has to overcome that because that is something with a lot of pocket quarterbacks it's the narrative why everyone wants a dual threat guy, like a true, like can throw and run guy because it gets you out of those situations. It gets you away from the pressure in the pocket. He's got to be stone cold in there. He has to be absolutely locked in and nothing can phase him. And right now it's, it's, I'd say 50, 50, cause there's some good balls we can talk about later in the show. If we will continue that conversation T Frank in quarter four, but first in quarter number three, we're going to take your questions and ask T Frank. Stay tuned for that. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. 
Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three, and you know what that means. It's time for us to take your questions and ask T. Frank. This is where... We look on our list of questions that we get from our app, Keystone Sports. You see the Ask T. Frank button there. You just push the button, and you get to ask T. Frank a question at the end of the segment. T. Frank will pick out the best question, and that questioner will win a prize pack from our good friends at 409tailgateclub.com, including their great coffee barbecue rubs, which we got a chance to enjoy over the weekend and you could win just like Pat did last week and he sent us a very nice email T Frank he called us an amazing listen I think he was talking about you <laughs> yeah is that audio quality uh is that the the like the tone of my voice is it pleasing or is it what I'm saying yeah, I hope it's all three, personally. I, I like to be good at literally everything in life, so if it's not, I might have to go cry after the show. So don't tell me. I'll just assume it's all three. I think it's the quality. I think it's the content more than anything else, T. Frank. All right, let's get to this week's questions. Let's start with uh, Brad in Percasy, who says, with Georgia defensive tackle Bear Alexander entering the transfer portal, should Penn State <laughs> offer him? Also, yes, what do sure. you know about him, T. Frank? Lastly, Nothing. any other defensive tackles in the portal? Penn no. State fans should know the names of, and if so, why? Oh, that. Listen, we talked about this last week of the scouting department for Penn State and how it's grown and how there's so many people working behind the scenes. I'm literally one man. So I have not scouted the transfer portal while doing blue-white evaluation, while doing high school evaluation of the two commits that happened this weekend, plus the one that potentially happens on Tuesday afternoon, plus doing everything backlog before blue-white game. 
So I, I have not looked at Bear Mick, what's his name in the transfer portal or any of the defensive tackles because it is just it is so paralyzing for me because I want to know that information, Brad. I want to be able to sit here and say, hey, this guy's good. Penn State should go after him. They'll have all the problems of like every everyone else wants him. I haven't looked at his film or his PFF grade or any of the metrics around it to know if he was leaving Georgia because he never saw the field or if he's just a difference of something or other. I, I, I wish I could tell you. Um, but there are there are legions of people watching film at certain places to get this information on time. And uh, I, I, I watch as much as I can, but I can't get to everything. So I apologize. Uh, come on, T. Frank. We expect you to know everything about everyone. How do you? Expect I gave you six to minutes on Drew Aller. I'm going to give you. I'm going to. I'm going to give you twelve minutes on Drew Aller in a, in a minute here at the end of this segment. So you're going to get an in depth breakdown of the blue white game. But at, that's at the sacrifice of not knowing who the Georgia defensive tackle is. All right, let's move on. Let's get to Mark in York who says, "Hey, T. Frank, how do you foresee the linebacker rotation working next season?" From what I saw in brief glimpses, because again, I was focusing on the quarterbacks and, and some of the positional players that flashed through the first run through. This is something that's on my to do list. But everything I saw was it was pretty much the same as it was last year, where you've got Curtis Jacobs and Sam. And part of this is because uh, two things uh, th- they had the blue and the white team. So Tony Rojas is on the white team. He's not going to be a part of the rotation on the blue team. Secondly, uh, that's, I think, one of the biggest state secrets that they've been hiding is how they're going to use those linebackers next year. So um, you saw some really basic stuff. Curtis Jacobs is out at the uh, at the Sam. Abdul Carter's at the Will. You have your mic at the mic. And then in the third down package, you know, you have some mix and match. Abdul was in a rush position over the A-gap where the, where the Mike linebacker would be. Curtis was at the, you know, the other A-gap as the, the Will. That's all the things we saw last year. So there's nothing new there. To me, I think you're going to see more sub packages, more Abdul Carter at Mike, maybe not to the level that everybody wants, but I do think that there is going to be more of that, Um, especially if you want to get Tony Rojas on the field. And because Curtis Jacobs is coming back for his senior year or your final year at Penn State, um, I think you got to keep him on the field as much as you can. And that dictates that one of the Mike linebackers has to come off the field or Curtis is playing only Sam. You know, like he's on the field for uh, 600 snaps and, it, you know, it's the majority here and a little bit there. To me, I think you got to play him as at will as much as possible because that will help his career. And that's also a benefit of having all that speed, athleticism and talent on the football field. So to me, I that's all it is. It's about how do you get those two guys in the box as much as possible together and not just on third down. Um, and that comes through game plan specific stuff and from um you know, some, some sub packages and some different elements of using your skills to the best of their abilities. And maybe I'm over generalizing this T Frank, but based on what I saw last year, where there were more than 11 talented players on defense, it almost feels like, uh, Manny Diaz sees these guys as pieces that he will find a way to use your talent no matter if you have a skill set, he'll find a way to get it on the field. And this, how we define positions isn't always going to be how he uses those pieces. It's based on, do you have a talent? So when you see a Tony Rojas Excel, you expect Manny Diaz to find a way somehow, some way to get him on the field. 
Yeah, uh, I'd say sh- one guy that I want to highlight here with that in mind is Daquan Hardy. Last year, I think he had a crisis of confidence, and that's just my uh, my view of his film was things that he was really good at last year, or two years ago in 2021, he struggled with in the new defense. Uh, and a lot of that was two-way goes in the slot. And during the blue-white game, he was locked down. He was back to being a guy that had quick feet that could go either way and could anticipate and play with great vision. So I think he'll be a bigger part of the game plan this year in the fall, as long as, you know, some of those problems that he had didn't crop up again. So that's another player that you got to add in for playing time on third down specifically. So there's, there's a lot of players that need to get on the field. And how do you do that? That's, that's going to be his job, figuring all that stuff out. And I'm confident that he's creative enough. He'll figure it out. Of course, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm referring to Manny Diaz. Let's go to Sam in Valley Forge, who says, it feels like, speaking of Manny Diaz, it feels like both coordinators could be candidates for head coaching jobs after this season. Do you see any natural candidates on the staff who could be promoted to coordinator if need be? I think J1 Sider is an excellent coach. I don't know if he's an offensive coordinator or not. Um, truthfully, that's that's kind of a special situation because when you're the offensive coordinator, you're the quarterback coach, and that is paramount. Developing quarterbacks is the number one job of the offensive coordinator. Like beyond game plans and tactics and play calling. If you develop a quarterback to be elite, then all of that stuff becomes easier and you don't have to work as hard at the other things. So no, I don't see a guy on the staff that is a quarterback developer. I see a lot of excellent coaches. You know, I think even Phil Troutwine isn't, is just so good at his job, but are they position specific guys? Jay Wan Sider, I think is more of a head coach than a coordinator. Because of his his personality, his recruiting ability, his kind of leadership qualities, and his relatability with players. Defensively, I actually think it's a little bit easier. Terry Smith has been on the staff for a very long time. I think he should have the option at some point. And the guy that I think might be the best is Anthony Poindexter. I, I think he's an excellent coach. I think he's got a great... Uh, vision for football. And I think he's got an excellent understanding of the game. I like it when it's led by somebody who is in the secondary, who understands coverage responsibilities and isn't just in the trenches. I think a lot of people focus too much on in the trenches as important as it is. um, You know, the last line of defense is, is maybe the most important in modern football. So that's, those are the guys I would highlight, but I think on the offensive side, if you want to continue the Joe Moorhead sort of idea of develop quarterbacks, get the most out of that position. You would probably have to go outside the organization because I could be wrong. I just don't see another guy that has those sort of credentials on his resume. That seems like a real good take there. T Frank, uh, Sean in crossroads says looking towards the future, what local and national wide receiver recruits should Penn state be looking at to solve the talent issues at the position? Got any names of uh, wide receivers that they're looking at, T. Frank? Well, I was a huge fan of Rico Scott. I would, you okay. know, of the two in-state guys, Tysier Denmark and Rico Scott, I thought Rico Scott was more talented. And then he uh, he goes to Alabama this weekend. So that's a, a bit of a surprise, and I think a, a blow for Penn State. He's a guy that I that, that should have been um, on this high on this radar. Nick Marsh is a national guy that I think is pretty good, got good size and has a lot of um, upside there. There's there's just this is a very wide open board 
And the names, I think, will change a little bit as we go down the road. But Keelan Adams is another one that I would keep your eye on from Virginia. He reminds me a little bit of Keandre Lambert-Smith, um, who has that long stride, big playability, but good short area quickness. Uh, maybe he's a little bit more physical, but in a little less change of direction skills. But in in terms of like catch the ball and and he's gone, you know, that big, long, pretty stride in the open field. I think he has a lot of those skills. So those would be the guys that I would, I would, uh, I'd still be trying to flip Rico Scott back from Alabama if I were Penn State. Okay. Let's go to Charles in Arlington who says, Are you buying that we will see Bo Perbula taking meaningful snaps with a healthy Drew Aller? Yes, I am. And I'm not saying they're playing a two-quarterback system. I'm saying if you think back to what uh, Joe Moorhead did with Tommy Stevens, forget Will Levis, forget 2020, forget all of that football. That was not what they wanted to do. That was by design survival. If you look at what they were able to do with Tommy Stevens and the conflict you can put players in, if you've got an athletic quarterback that can throw the football, um, you know, in certain situations from trick plays, that's what you have in Bo Perbula. Maybe not as much of a tight end as Tommy was like Tommy was unbelievably big and athletic, but Bo can run. So if you've got him on a quarterback option with Aller in the backfield and you have him on a sprint out where you've got a couple options in basically a a quasi rollout package, but he can run with the football. That's a free cheat code. Like there's, there's nothing that says that that's a two quarterback system. That is just using your athletes in the right position to get them uh, to be successful. And at that point, if you want to put Nick Singleton, you know, running a drag route and you got Bo Perbula and Nick Singleton in the flat, a linebacker might have a heart attack having to decide what to do there. So there are creative ways that you can use Bo Perbula um, and use his skills to accentuate parts of your offense, especially if you've got other established threats. I don't think you use this as a, oh no, our offense isn't working. Let's go to something tricky. It is, okay, the running game is humming and we're going to add in this wrinkle with Bo. And, uh, or, or the passing game is working and nobody wants to uh, defend that everyone's deep, right? So all the players are deep, and then you bring in Bo on some short routes that just get yards after the catch. So I think that's how you use him. Very good, T. Frank, that's it for quarter number three. Stick around, quarter four. We'll name our winner. Stay tuned for that. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, 
local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It's quarter number four. He's T. Frank. I'm Jim. We are going to get back to the blue-white game. But first, T. Frank, we need a winner from our Ask T. Frank segment. Who do you got? We got Brad and Perkis. Just kidding. Sorry, Brad. Like you asked a question that would have been a really good one. Uh, and you also poked my so- psychosis of needing to know everything. Uh, but no, we're going with Sam and Valley Forge. Uh, talking about coordinators on the roster. Uh, I, I don't know that. So here's the thing. I'm, some of my coworkers don't know that uh, they think Mike Yersich is like a head coach. Like does he even want to be a head coach? Somebody throws a lot of money in his lap. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but I think he loves playing like the play design. I think he loves what he does. Um, the guy that is obviously a head coach candidate is is Manny Diaz. And we'll see, you know, how that works out and how long he stays. But uh, if you were to as a as a follow up to this question, if you were to put the odds on those, I would put a much higher on Manny than I would on Mike Yersich. But offensive coordinators are a hot commodity. And when you build a good offense, people want you. So could be an un- it could be an underrated thing that I'm overlooking there. And I'll tell you what, uh, T. Frank, I do believe that those coordinator positions are different skill sets than what the head coach offers. So when you talked about Juwan Sider probably being a better candidate for a head coach than a coordinator position, it it made a lot of sense to me. And I'm I'm a huge fan of both Yursich and Manny Diaz. I think they are both in the perfect position. And I'm saying that as a Penn state fan, I don't want either one of them to go anywhere. Let's uh, let's move on. Let's get back to the blue white game. When we finished in quarter number two, we were still talking drew Aller. Let's, let's mm-hmm. finish up that conversation. Uh, T Frank. Yeah. So we kind of ended on what he wasn't doing right in the first half. Um, and a lot of that had to do with pressure, but also his response to pressure. There was another play uh, you know, after the one I described the very next play, Keandre Lambert Smith is one-on-one with the safety down the field. And I don't blame him for this one. Cause there was more immediate pressure. He broke the pocket and run, ran instead of trying to hold on and get that ball downfield. That is, you know, it's kind of like the cover one and run like the, what we saw from Sean Clifford a couple years ago. So, um, in the second half, he was much better. Uh, and I think he settled down his footwork still concerns me. Because even on some of those passes where he had to dump it off underneath because there was nothing downfield, he's coming through the pocket and like jump passing it to Catron Allen. And some of his passes are a little behind. They're not precise leading the receiver into the right area, but they were good decisions. They were quick decisions and they were the right ones because there was nothing open. Let's focus on the ones to Caden Saunders because some of those passes were legitimately good. And again, let's explain the coverage because the coverage is everything in this conversation. You have to understand what the quarterback is looking at and therefore what he's trying to do. So Manny Diaz runs cover one, meaning man coverage, a lot. It is a it is the staple of what they do. So when I say they're running cover two a lot, it's in reference to all the plays left after they're running man coverage. So in the blue-white game, they were running a lot of two high looks, cover two, cover four, cover six, and primarily two and six. 
So those are coverages where the middle of the field is open. And if you can, you can thread the ball over a linebacker. You can get some moderately big plays. But those are the those are the plays I'm talking about. Those are the I'm a great quarterback plays. Those are the ones I want to see from Drew because they are so hard. They're probably harder than some of the deep balls where you've just got to be precise and throw the ball. And a lot of those things are you can see before the snap of I got one on one with my number one receiver. The safety is shaded the other way towards the formation. So I'm going to throw the ball to the wide side of the field and I'm going to be precise with it. Those are technically hard, but mentally these zone coverages, being able to thread the ball over a linebacker, which it doesn't look like there's a window, but there is if you can throw the ball with the right trajectory. Those are the plays that make great quarterbacks, in my opinion, because that means you now threaten every part of the field and you can't play those coverages against that quarterback. So there were a couple times where Tamir Robinson did a great job running down the middle of the field to cover that cover two hole. Um, and then a couple times, Aller threw the ball, threaded it in, and was able to get the ball over Rojas and, and Robinson and indicating Saunders before the safeties. So those are some really good reads. He also had some really good throws that were incomplete where uh, I like the fact that on the incompletion to Caden Saunders, he's leading Saunders up the field. Saunders is running too flat. He's kind of running laterally and into a bubble screen instead of Allers trying to lead him upfield. There's a couple of times that they had miscommunication because uh, Saunders was taking too long with his route. He's trying to um, rivals camp, you know, you know, the, the recruiting camp where you set up the DB for seven seconds and you break out and you get the ball. It's one of the situations that's fourth down. Aller's throwing to the sideline on an out route. And, you know, there's a couple different ways you can run that route. But on fourth and four with a pressure package, Saunders has to recognize that he needs to get out there quickly. And there's a miscommunication. I don't put that all on Aller. I put that on maybe he should have read the, the, the receiver and thrown to where he was. But the right read is he throws the ball to a spot. He was a little off. Saunders was a little off. And when James Franklin says we can't throw enough this summer, those are the moments he's talking about, you know, kind of which way are you going to throw this route? Am I going to lead you up field or are you running laterally? And they were not on the same page with those. Um, and then another one where Saunders didn't get his head around in time could have been a touchdown. Aller throws it basically ear holes in with the football. And then, uh, you know, James Franklin comes over and says something to Caden Saunders about the route, which I think he was giving him some encouragement about like, hey, you know, you got this believe in you. Uh, but what I was thinking is like, why didn't you get your head around in time? Why was that taking so long? Get your ass into the right spot and get your head around. Um, but those are the things I think from Drew Aller's perspective. And again, it all folds into the coverage. It all folds into the receivers, all of those things, the pressure from up front, all those things create the environment. This is what I was saying when we were talking pregame about like, what are you looking for? And I'm like, I don't know. We'll find out when it's there uh, of what the situation with the quarterback is. These are the elements that go into my analysis of the quarterback. And I thought in the second half, Aller so showed some really good um, uh, ability, mental ability. And I know that everyone's going to, you know, latch onto the sidearm throw because it's, it's circus fun and it is really good. And very few quarterbacks can do that. But if that's all you have and you don't have the mental processing to do the hard stuff down the field, then I think you're in trouble. And he showed enough to me on Saturday that it kind of forgave some of the mental mistakes he made early in the game. Um, and it kind of painted a picture of a guy who is going to make some mistakes, but might make some big plays, especially when he's got his actual left tackle back. So I think it was overall a, a, a good performance from Aller, but it showed some of those weaknesses we saw last year that uh, maybe were hidden underneath the garbage time uh, moniker of where they were. 
they are things that Penn State is going to have to mitigate. I don't think he's great under pressure yet. So the run game, pass blocking is all very important to set up easy windows, easy looks for Aller where there isn't a lot of pressure. And when they get into situations where there is, he's got to rise above it. Okay, we've taken a pretty good in-depth look at the quarterbacks, T. Frank. I'll make it wide open for you. Mm -hmm. What else, who else did you see in the blue-white game that stood out to you? So I want to I want to contextualize KJ Winston's performance because everyone knows he was awesome. But what he was doing was really, really good. Pensey does these zone blitz run blitz things where they'll blitz from the backside and drop a defensive end to usually to the boundary, right? Into into the short side of the field. And they've a couple times last year gotten caught where they the teams run into that. So you're running at a defensive end that's dropping. That's not that, there's no bueno. That's not good. Um, and what KJ Winston was able to do on multiple occasions was as kind of a free defender floating there in the, you know, strong safety position. He saw it, he recognized it and he attacked like a bat out of hell. Uh, and he was able to get uh, what should have been a big play for the offense twice and erase it. And that's against the first team offense where he's going and tracking down Singleton and Allen. So it's not just the physical ability of him to run and tackle it's the recognition and he was uh we talk about erasers right so guys that can er erase mistakes he was in keon wiley's gap before keon wiley was in these in one of these situations so that is that is amazing like that is he's going to be a weapon on defense especially against teams that like to run the football he's going to be on the field he's going to be making impact plays around the line of scrimmage we'll see what he is as a coverage player i don't think he was tested a whole lot i, I want to see more there but in terms of what you expect him to be good at, ooh, he was really good at. Deny Dennis Sutton, unblockable uh, on, on Saturday. It was awesome to watch. Everything that he needed to work on, he worked on it this offseason, and he is as close to a complete player, you know, in his profile as you can ask him to be in year two, where he needed to work on his balance through contact and, and his pad level and using his strength and his length more naturally. And he got under the armpit of the tackles regularly. And that power, I've always compared him to a little bit to Nick Bosa in terms of a guy that's not going to be a speed guy to the edge, but he can threaten you from the edge because he can shorten the curve by just basically going through your outside shoulder, just turning you inside. Uh, like, in, you know, those old school can openers like in World War II that you would use to like, he just peels the tackle open like a can opener. It's it's really fun to watch. And then uh, quietly, Tamir Robinson, I thought had a good day. Only one real bad mental mistake. He's still young. He's still not going to be, I don't think, a factor this year, but he looked more comfortable than I expected. And basic coverages, nothing too scary from in terms of like memory and getting everybody set, nothing too ex exotic from the offense. So I'm not expecting him to command the defense, but this is a guy that played safety in high school and uh, played edge rusher at one point and now is playing Mike Linebacker. I think all those skills do look like they can synthesize in him as a, as a Mike Linebacker because his his reach is so insane he gets in these passing lanes and it's just uh, drew aller couldn't throw over the middle and, and a lot of the problems with the pressure were because tammy robinson and his thirty-seven thousand foot wingspan like a boeing 747 in the middle of the field taking away all the passing lanes and to me that was encouraging that um a guy who was very raw at the position didn't look lost um and especially in run defense i thought there were a couple plays he made that were really good some complicated twists and stunts where he's supposed to get to a different gap he got there and he made a play. And so I was very encouraged by that. So those are the guys I think on defense that really stood out. And then on the offensive side, on uh, the, just the complete reverse of the conversation, tackle depth is a problem on this team.
without Fashinu out there, that was a problem. I know they're going up against the best defensive line in America, and I'm pretty confident saying that. You have four guys that could start at most colleges in America, and um, to you know some of them high-level players on the second team. Penn State is, I don't know that they're going to get a tackle in the portal, but with Jimmy Chris leaving, and I, I Drew Shelton being what I expected him to be, of not what everyone was thinking he was going to be, taking over for Caden Wallace, and I don't know that Caden Wallace was particularly great on Saturday. So I, that continues things I saw from them last year as well. There's time for them to get better. There's time for them those things to improve. I think as good as the offensive line can be, and in them, as much as they can improve, there are still question marks. And that right tackle position, to me, it's not going away. I still am concerned about that for next fall. Very good, T. Frank. Unfortunately, that's going to have to be it. My one final note, it's fascinating and encouraging to me that the guys you highlight on defense, uh, K.J. Winston, Deny Dennis Sutton, even Tamir Robinson, they're not starters theoretically. Yeah. All right. That is it for our show. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone kickoff show. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 tailgate club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.